Hello everybody, it is the time of year to begin registering for one or two of my slow groups that begin in July. My slow groups are these special groups where I focus on one topic and we deeply unpack it over the course of six months. So these are highly nuanced, deep dive, advanced groups. These are excellent for those of you who have taken my six week course or who just want to focus on one particular topic through a somatic and trauma-informed lens. The two that are opening up in July, or will begin in July, are my embodied parenting group and my embodied nutrition group. The embodied parenting group is just like it sounds, learning how to parent from your body, learning how to ground yourself in your parenting so you're not parenting from a reactive triggered place, but from a much more conscious place so you can actually find joy in your parenting instead of it being a total hellscape, like some of you have told me it is, and I've experienced it myself. The other group is an embodied nutrition group. This has been requested for years. For the past four years after students complete my course, they say, can you please do a course on nutrition and make it longer than six weeks? So finally, I can say, yes, you can, and I can, and I did. It is a six-month unpacking of the intersection between trauma nutrition, and somatics. How do we recover from stress and trauma via food? How do we relate to food as a being and not just some object on the plate? What's the biochemistry of food? Why is it not the best for my blood sugar to have toast, but lentils are just fine if they're both carbohydrates? All of this and more will be unpacked in this six-month group. To register for these groups, please go to my website, holisticlifenavigation.com, and click Groups or you can click the link in the episode details below. Registration closes on June 1st. It is only open through May because we need the month of June to prepare everybody for July. I'm looking forward to this deep dive with you all. I'll see you there. On today's episode, I speak with my team, Camila Marika, about all of our hmm, enlightened concepts from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and then some. Yeah, now that I have this knowledge, I want everybody else to have it. And now that I feel this way, I want everybody else to feel that way. Or if I see somebody is having a specific type of problem, you know, um, maybe drug and alcohol or like, you know, something, uh, something like that, not getting in the way and just being uh, offering support without action is really hard for me um, because the action in my mind is the thing that helps them um, instead of just being there without judgment in love. Welcome to the Holistic Life Navigation Podcast, where we discuss every aspect of life through the lens of somatic psychology, nutrition, and self-inquiry. My name is Luis Mojica, and I'm a somatic educator who teaches people how to find safety inside themselves so they can better navigate this strange and sensational human experience. Your time to learn begins now. Okay, we are here. Um, let's start by just saying how we're feeling. Marika, what's going on? I'm feeling actually pretty good. I got sleep for the first time in like 100 years, and uh, I know, and just... A good Monday. It feels like a good good day to do this. <laughs> How about you, Camille? What's going on? Uh, 
feeling pretty good. Yeah. Mondays are usually a nice flow for me. And um, particularly this, this last weekend, I experimented with putting my phone away for from like Friday afternoon all the way till Sunday evening. And that was really nice. Mariko, what's going on for you over there? I was just, that's um, aspirational for me. <laughs> it's usually just connected to my hands, you know? It's like all the time. You have one of those, like, like those runner straps, but you have one on your hand. Yeah, when I fall asleep, my husband will come and, like, you know, grab it out of my hand. Like, he has to <laughs> forcibly separate us. <laughs> you auto-regulating with your phone? Kind of. Chronically. <laughs> so... I've been wanting to talk about Honey, I Shrunk the Kids um, because we watched it a little while ago with Lyra. I haven't watched it since I was like probably Lyra's age. And so we watched it and I was like, this, I think this movie informed so much for me about animism and and the human supremacy, actually. And I was like, I want to talk about this with you too and see where you So I, I just kind of want to like drop that and just see where we can go from there. Let's do it. Let's do it. So I think what interested me was this, uh, like in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, there's that perspective change. And the piece that really gets me is when the father flicks the cigarette into the yard and the cigarette hits the lawn. And the kids are these tiny insect-sized, you know, creatures. And this explosion and eruption spark occurs and just like desolates the, the land, right? Uh, but you would never know that because we're, we're so big. And I, I don't know, something about it kind of just took me into this place of, oh, that's where the seeds started being sown. Like these movies that are really cheesy on one end, they sow these seeds. And for me, that one of the seeds that were sown were, oh my gosh, there's so many other life forms that I'm not even aware that I'm like harming all the time. And and at first there was a lot of guilt growing up. Like when I became a vegetarian, it was out of guilt. But now I'm at a place of really just loving the whole destruction life cycle from like a gratitude place. But I'm curious, I don't know if you, like even when I say that, where does that go for you? So I immediately go to Auntie in the, in the movie. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> as a kid, it, it, that was, it, it was a super cheesy part, but it sticks out for you, you know, even then, you know, 10 years old or whatever. It's like, ant, I could crush an ant. What is that? Even in the realm of animals that I could relate to, an ant, that is insignificant. <laughs> But in that movie, not so much. They actually establish a bond uh, with Auntie and Auntie with them. Um, and it was just, it, and particularly the um, the relationship they established with them. It's so weird how things stay in your mind as a kid. But it was, you know, the boys really trying to um, not colonize, but, you know, force the ant to their will. And it was the girl who was like, here, here's the cookie and, <laughs> and through that they were able to establish a relationship yeah yes i love that even that 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 example right there of like dominate the ant or create a relationship with auntie i cried even at this age when i was why i was like i'm like auntie. so when he said that i was like feeling out of my heart what about you marika auntie kind of messed me up because from then on i was like how many people have I murdered you know yes, I mean? yes, that's, that's right and also I worried about the kids fictional children by the way uh, like how do they not know they're just trampling all over auntie's you know 
family or, you know, because I was, mm-hmm. well, when it came out in what, 1988 or nine? I think. And I think I saw it in the theater. And so Auntie was huge, mm-hmm. you know, even though mm-hmm. they were all very small. But it really did, um, it kind of, it wasn't like a trauma or anything. It just sort of freaked me out because I realized how many things I hadn't, how many, I just didn't ever notice, you know, mm-hmm. ants, bugs, mm-hmm. you know, things that fly around. Like, and so, yes, I think it did also really, I also just wanted to be little. <laughs> oh yeah. Could this potentially happen to me? Cause that'd be cool. <laughs> oh yeah. I remember. And there was like Indian in a cupboard. Yes. And, yeah, yeah. And what was, there was another one too. I, I don't remember what it was called. Remember that weird one with like the tiny dinosaurs in the miniature golf place? See, I'll say this and I everyone looks not. at me like that. Eamon calls like, it a cover memory. She's like, it's a cover memory with Luis. <laughs> this movie doesn't exist. <laughs> like, that, was, like, that was an alien abduction <laughs> you've been replaced with this memory. But there's this memory I have of this like, this like these dinosaurs that help an ailing miniature golf course like it rehabilitate itself um you know i'm just gonna go to google after we finish this podcast let us know when you find it but, but it's like it's like miniature it, it just it sparked my memory of the miniature things and how lovely it would yes. be to be little and have like a little person with you but this is okay this is where it starts going into like of course trauma because mm-hmm. why not mm-hmm. um this is why I find trauma, how do I say it? This is why trauma for me isn't a separate thing from us. Mm-hmm. You know, like like the movie sowed the seeds of, okay, there are other things, right? It's not just about you. And then when I was 19, I read a book called Ishmael. Mm-hmm. And the, yeah, I remember Ishmael. And yeah. th- that book did the same thing where this gorilla in, in a cage essentially teaches this man everything about what everything essentially like everything. the the secrets of life and there's this one part and at the time i was uh taking a train from lancaster pennsylvania to philly every day to work for this environmental agency and i'm on the train and while it's going i think in the book he's on a train and all i remember is he says he looks around and he sees all these wires all these roads all these advertisements and he has this epiphany and he says everything's here for us like everything's reflecting our desires and our truths and our bodies and how we move our cars. We don't build it around nature. We build it through nature. And I was on this train. I looked out the window and I was, it had this moment of, whoa, like when I say human supremacy, it's this idea we're born into that everything's here for us. Mm. And that, that, that heals me actually within the face of trauma, because it's like, trauma can't happen to us it's not fair it shouldn't happen it's like why are we different than nature like trauma is an energy that moves through everything so i've been really getting kind of mind blown lately when i go into this this felt experience of i'm no more important than the tree that got struck down by lightning and there's this like incredible equality that emerges and i'm i'm just curious where that goes for either of you <laughs> So I'm still stuck on how do you show up the kids because what that brings up for me, and it's a really insignificant scene, but um, where the little brother, Nick, you know, he has a pollen allergy. And he I love falls, you know, she knows all the names. I'm like, I don't even, I just, yeah. Yeah, I know, I know this movie. Okay, you know this. He falls into the flower and like he and his sister are freaking out because he is, he's allergic to pollen. He's like, oh, but wait, it's too big for me to breathe it in. 
And so for me, it was at that young age, it was still, I mean, the whole movie is about perspective, but for mm. me, that was another way of thinking about perspective that we can say these, these things are bad or really X, Y, Z is poisonous. It's not so much that it's poisonous, it's poisonous for you, for mm. another being, or if you were in another situation, it may not be poisonous or what we refer to as poisonous. Um, so that's sort of, that's also how I think about trauma, like trauma, we can, perceive it as being poisonous but what if we change the perspective or um yeah that that's just what's beginning to percolate in me as i was listening to you i'm feeling mm. that yeah what do you think america i'm just writing something down well as you were talking and you were talking about you know i was what i was getting were images of um like there's so much building going on around us and in seattle and um and how angry I will get when I see them just tearing out all the trees um, so they can then build houses and then add other trees, newer trees. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad that they put more trees in, but it's like, yeah, but it's yeah. in the right place and they're in the right line and they look, you know, I'm like, I don't, yeah, I would rather live amongst the trees that were there. And, you know, and that's not even a thought, you know, it doesn't. And, and so I just see that as, as um you know putting our the human the supremacy part you know of mm-hmm. of not taking in you know nature basically um and uh it's, it feels like we just use it you know um so yeah i could just i just that's the thing that has been going on around here that brings up a lot of charge in me because it just feels like we're raising everything to the ground <laughs> you know, and losing our connection because where we live, it used to be all forest, you know, I mean, where everyone lived, <laughs> it used to be all forest, <laughs> but, too. but too. even like, you know, even, you know, for in the last 20 years and, and yeah, putting our will on it. Now we're all like very close together. And, and, and so, yeah, that's, I've, I've seen, I, that's kind of a way that I see in my adult life, um, uh, us putting our will on, on nature. You know? well, this is what's interesting to me about that is it, did you want to say something Camille so you light up no yeah just as Marie was talking it actually reminded me of uh you know we just did the course one of one of the uh lecture sessions in the course and we were talking about birth as a really mm. good example of activation and regulation um even though we can fight against it and that was my experience going into to not just my first birth but all of them subsequently people would ask oh you're having a baby what does the baby do oh, what hospital are you having the baby at i'm not having the baby at a hospital i'm doing a birthing center you're not getting an epidural why would you do that to yourself that's the question i would get a lot of times and it was really particularly the first time is really disorienting to me because i just never thought of it as a means of punishing myself but i know a lot that's how a lot of people either interpret it for themselves or for me like why you don't have to do that to yourself why not take that that away um and it wasn't a, uh, an experience i wanted to take away from me but it, that's yeah, like Marika was saying, you know, sort of bend nature to your will. If you can bend nature to your will, why wouldn't you in that situation? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I I very much enjoyed both of my birthing experiences and looking forward to, to my next one should it come to fruition. And I actually gained a lot by not bending nature to my will, by actually being in nature, just beginning to be in the ebb and flow of it. See, that right there is like... 
I learned a lot from not bending into my will. There's this humility, right? When we just don't bend everything around us to our will. For me, part of the humility is like, I'm no more important than this other thing. So like in that case, like your comfort isn't any more more important than your baby coming through in the pain. Like they don't have to be, the pain and comfort don't have to be good or bad. It's, you know, you don't need one over the other. You can let the nature be what it is. And this is where I'm I'm getting with trauma as a force of nature. We, we again, I think the reason trauma is so prevalent is because the opposite, we've removed ourselves from nature. And in that post-colonial, that, that colonized psyche that we've emerged from, we've lost that ability to see it as a part of us and as a part of something that's going to be moving through us for most of our lives. So we see it as like a mistake. We see it as like something that happened that shouldn't have happened. We see it as um, wrong or dangerous or inconvenient or something to be ashamed of. And I think, I, I guess if I had a, a desire with the work that we do, it's to just teach people that there's nothing wrong with it. And people listening are like, what do you mean there's nothing wrong with abuse, Louise? Like, what do you yeah. mean there's nothing wrong with oppression? It's like, that's not trauma. That's that's oppression. That's what it is. The, that body responding to it, that's the thing we call trauma. And I think our overcoupling of trauma with event is why trauma itself and the charge left over from it is overcoupled with like shame or disgust or there's something wrong because the event was something that you know you could morally or ethically oppose and there's still a nature to it all right like my body holding that and responding to it and having all this charge <laughs> that's a natural healthy response to something really big so what if the charge was this beautiful teacher teaching me what i needed in this moment to recover from this event instead of this dysfunction I have now from this event. Yes. <laughs> and I, I wanted to say something also to Camille. Yes, of course. Yeah. But when you, and you also said the word, Louise, which is, um, I also did not have um, drugs when I gave birth to my son. Not for lack of trying. <laughs> <laughs> but like, it just, it was too late and it was just, it wasn't going to work. And so they were like, hooray, you're in for... But what I've noticed, what I noticed after that is people would go, you had a natural birth. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, isn't that the the natural thing? Like, you know, but it's really not um, And people. Yeah, the people would just judge it. And or they would be like, you're Wonder Woman or, you know, mm. or you. Oh, my God. She, she was just much you're stronger a hero. than every person <laughs> on Earth. Like, no, it just happened that way, mm. you know, and um mm. I didn't, I certainly didn't, it didn't, uh, like Camille, it didn't, I didn't have the same experience. Like, I did not like being in my body. That was like one time I can say I really was in my body, but I didn't want to be, <laughs> you know? Yeah. You can't, you can't really do much about it. It's like, you're in for it. Um, but I just remember after that, like, it, that it was this weird, unusual thing that I'd had a natural birth. You know, and that it was like sort of the antithesis to what everybody else wanted or what people think you need, which is to never be in pain or to never mm. actually feel what's going on in your body, which isn't 100% positive all the time, you know. So you just yeah. said about to never be in pain. That's like the highlight for me. Because yeah. that, that, that's where the human supremacy thing comes into me. Like mm -hmm. we're almost so perverted from our piece of creating you know, post-industrial revolution, especially like so much is done for us by robots and computers and 
that we just are so comfortable compared to where we've been, you know, even 50 years ago, that there's this concept that like, I shouldn't have to feel something uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And this is where it leaks into the work you do, Camille, around like capacity for difference, you know, like, it's an inconvenience. I don't have capacity for discomfort. I only want to be in comfortable settings. And that's the polarity of the country, right? You know, it's Mm -hmm. like, we can't even handle someone that opposes something we say. We label them as like racist or transphobic or Republican or Trump or, you know, whatever the term is, just based on their disagreement without even knowing who they are. And so to me, this whole, like when I say human supremacy, which is maybe such a silly word for people listening. It, it's it's me, it's also related, right? Because like we've de-humbled ourselves from being a part of the elements and like I could die at any moment. That's okay. That's that's part of being on this earth. And we've replaced it with all these stories of guarantees that I'm important and I should be preserved at all cost. Like, I'm just so curious about that. Yeah, it actually reminds me of, I guess a time in, in, in my 20s or so, I just so happened to be like reading couple of different books and watching a couple of different movies that were about people losing their faith, particularly if they were hmm, leaders or um, within, within, within their, their, uh, within their religion or within their, their church or, or their mosque. And what was, what I found really interesting about those situations is that these are individuals who were leaders of their faith. They were counseling people when they would go through really, quote unquote, undesirable events. And they say, this is what you should do. But then what would happen is something bad would happen to them. And then that's when they threw up their hands. They're like, oh, this is this isn't real. This is it. And I just found that to be so interesting to observe because I do think it goes back to what you were describing, you know, that, that idea of human supremacy, like I shouldn't have to do that. And even then, like, it was like relative to them, but I'm a leader of this faith out of all of the people in the world. I shouldn't have to be a person who experiences something bad. And I just remember reading those, those, those accounts, those memoirs or watching those movies and just being in awe really of, of, for lack of a better word, like the hypocrisy of it, that mm. it, it, um, mm-hmm. that you that you could be so shaken by an event because you've already decided that that shouldn't have to happen to me because I'm a good person. I, as you're talking, I'm getting this image of someone like you know waving a fist to the sky, like what did I do to deserve this? Yes. You know, it's like <laughs> it's such like a, a cinematic image, and I, like in my mind, I just hear the answer: you were born. And, and not like you were born deserving pain, but like you're born. Like no. it, it, there's the myth that I think in this more like quote civilized modern culture, there's this myth of like you're born and everything should be really comfortable and like bad things shouldn't happen. And that that myth like tears down our capacity for activating events. And so I get curious. This is especially true for me. I don't know about you two, but for me, I tend to be in like more liberal settings, you know, just based on my beliefs. I'm always the odd one out here because like I'm 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 really like (laughs) I I get along with the Republicans from that viewpoint of like, no, things are going to be hard sometimes. I don't do it as a bully. But to me, like, I don't understand where we're going in our culture of trying to dissipate discomfort like i want to build capacity and have resilience and how where do how do you two navigate that or where do you find yourselves in this more modern modern world with these these views so what is that like for you um 
Yeah, you know, we've talked about this before where I'm I'm a big proponent of brave spaces as opposed to safe spaces. And I I understand why people want safe spaces or I understand why people want places and spaces where they won't be abused, of course. But I think we've also begun to overcouple abuse with disagreement. That's right. And and, and it's not just like well, liberals or lefts. It, it's it's back and forth. Everywhere. Where it, yep. it's, there's this fundamental over. If you disagree with me, that means X, Y, Z. Whereas <laughs> could it just be that you have a different perspective? I mean, even just today. So um, to give some context, folks, we have shifted from uh, daylight saving time back to standard time. And so I saw a couple of posts on Facebook about people proclaiming, you know, which one is best. By the way, I'm a big standard person. If we could be standard all the time, I'd vote for it. Um, someone posted something. It was to the effect of, I don't get why people would like prefer da- uh, prefer standard time. Help me understand why you don't like daylight savings time. And so a couple of people respond to his posts. And what I thought was interesting, I mean, there were people who were agreeing with him, like, yes, obviously this is the way to go. But there was one person who, sa- who said, oh, I prefer standard time because of X, Y, Z. And then he responds and says, yeah, I hear you, but that's not a valid argument. And I, and I remember, I was like, I thought the point was just to hear, not necessarily to pers- persuade. Um, and, and so it was just, even with that, like, can you just be with that other person's experience? That other per- you you literally asked, why are there people who prefer standard time to, to daylight saving time? And then he shares with you what his experience, perspective, or opinion is, and you say that's not valid. Um, that that was just even in something something as innocuous as that. That was interesting to observe. Well, I was thinking that's a lot of overcoupling with extremely binary thinking. Right. Like that's where I find I run into some issues um, or disagreements. And I, I agree with you where it's like we're not allowed to be uncomfortable. But that's also sort of the I feel like the message or the box that they that the systems we live in would prefer us to not be feeling our bodies or know what's going on. You know how we really feel, because so many things that I know that I've done in my life and that everybody and that other people I know it takes you out of the body, you know, and then it keeps you there. <laughs> and, um, you know, I saw a lot during sort of the, you know, 2016 election and stuff of people who I felt like they were back in their body because of anger, mm-hmm. but then didn't know where to go with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it was just sort of reaction, reactive, reflexive, reactive, reflexive, reactive. Um, and what was missing there was connection for me anyways. Um, and so, yeah, it has, it has been a strange path to walk and just sort of to, to finally like uncouple myself from those situations and then kind of see how, what people's motivations are and where they're coming from and probably trauma response most often than than not, and not quite know what, where my role is in that, because what I want to do is the supremacy part. You should do this. (laughs) You know, oh, well, here's, you know, and I mean, of yeah. course, I think that the things that we would suggest are are more embodied than most. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, my my first reaction is I'm going to tell you what to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just like everybody else. You know, I always love that in our course when someone says like, oh, my gosh, now that I'm learning this, I see everyone in my family through this lens, mm-hmm. like Luis, Marika, Camille, what do I do? 
how can I how can I help them? And I think we all three of us were like, you can't. <laughs> this is your yourself. work. Yeah. That's right. This is your work. You do it. See how your body feels with their body as you do it. And that because this this place of like you said, supremacy, this like dominating response of trying to fix or help somebody. Mm-hmm. So oppressive. It's like we yeah. think in the name of help, it's it's yeah. really control. It's yeah. so did you, did you ever see, did anyone here ever watch uh call the mid call the midwife? Call yes. the midwife? Mm-hmm. I did. I was All obsessed. Eleven seasons. Okay, okay. So you <laughs> you get it. And mm-hmm. so I was obsessed and my, I would be bawling my eyes out. And my mm-hmm. wife and I like were obsessed with it. We watched it a lot. And there was this one episode where this older woman is living in her house and she's like she's like spilling things and like dropping things because she's aging. And they're trying to get a committee to like remove her from her house and put her in a, a you know, a, an old folks home or something. And I remember really understanding through that that episode again how oppressive help is um, in this context because even when it's like good good intention, like I want you to not fall, I was really playing with being in her body. And if it was me, and I'm like, I think I'd rather fall and die in my house than in uh, a nursing home. And I grew up in nursing homes. You know, my two of my grandmothers and my uncle were all in nursing homes when I was in early high school. And I spent all my time, I shouldn't say I grew up, I spent a lot of time in high school um, in nursing homes, like helping take care of them. And for no offense to any of you listening, for me personally, I would never want to go to one. Like I prefer to ail at home naturally than go to a nursing home, be like waited on. And so when I was watching this episode, I was just watching again, like the the innocence of the well-intentioned people. I really wanted to save this woman from falling and breaking her leg. Instead of no, like attuning to her desire, of this is my life, I'm totally cool if I fall and break my leg. And I think I get, I get really curious about how we are in the world, individually, politically, collectively, of thinking we're supposed to save people from themselves. Uh, it's something that I find so common and again, so well-intentioned. And and this is actually where the the polarities of America, like the quote left and right, could actually see the common value. They both do it in different ways. They're trying to save someone from a decision they think is wrong by like an oppressive law that would stop them from living the way they want to, like both sides. And so I just wonder about like, what is it, what is it like for you two? Do you notice, is this something that's kind of always been with you, this awareness of I'm trying to help someone and it's oppressive? Is it new from this work that we do together? Where does it go for you of your capacity to let someone live their life, even if they're being destructive to themselves? Like, what's that like for you? <laughs> Marika just did a big dramatic thumbs down. So tell um, us what you mean it's by It's something that. that I'm working on. It's hard. It's really hard. It's something I'm constantly working on, or let's say constantly being invited to work on. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whether I want to or not, right? Because, mm-hmm. yeah, now that I have this knowledge, I want everybody else to have it. And now that I feel this way, I want everybody else to feel that way, you know? Um, or if I see somebody is having a specific type of problem, you know, um, maybe drug and alcohol or like, you know, something, uh, something like that, not getting in the way. So that, you know, and just being uh, offering support without action is really hard for me um, because the action in my mind is the thing that helps them, you know, um, instead of just being there without judgment in love. 
mm-hmm. you know, which I think is the the better way to, to go about it. It's just not my first reflexive reaction. <laughs> you oh, know, I, I want to control it and I want to fix it and help and get my accolades and get out. and the accolades like the reward of you helped me thank you you're amazing what are the accolades i mean just just like feeling like i i I helped feeling like i did something for someone which is not ever 100 like selfless you know Mm, yeah Um, but you know hopefully like what's been best for me lately is just to to listen if someone asks for advice then i try and go in a somatic direction that's kind of that's kind of where i I'm landing and mm-hmm. I don't get into too much trouble. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Where does that go for you, Camille? Um so I think personally, I've never been a big like change or persuasion kind of person. I was always sort of the the friend who was like, you know, if you like it, I'd love it. Um, <laughs> which can sometimes be uh, perceived as being apathetic. Um, mm-hmm. but what I did notice was a shift professionally. Um you know, in in the corporate space, a lot of times you are judged or rewarded based on your ability to persuade other people, whether it's your employees or customers, to do something different. And so you put a lot of energy and effort in doing that. And I realized that I don't want to do that. I want I don't want to persuade anyone. Like even a long time, people, oh, you should be on the, the debate team. You're you should be a lawyer. You're so good at articulating. Yeah, I like sharing, pontificating, philosophizing. I don't like the idea of the intent is to change someone's mind. Um, so even the more and more I got into my career, I realized like I don't want to be responsible for whether or not people change their behaviors because fundamentally I couldn't be like, particularly once I got into diversity, equity, and inclusion, you were fundamentally being um, uh, rewarded or uh, judged as to whether or not this entire company is more diverse, equitable, and inclusive. (laughs) So I can go around spouting all these different things saying, these are things you may want to implement. Here are some different recruiting practices, da, 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 da. But at the end of the day, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not responsible for execution, yet I was kind of being held responsible for execution. Um, so that even just pushed me further into like this. No, I, I don't. I don't um, want to persuade or change people because fundamentally I can't. There's nothing I can say or do to change anyone else. And you know how I know that? Because there's nothing anyone can say or do to change me. Mm-hmm. I, I've experienced that. I've witnessed that. I think, though, for a lot of people... The frustration comes, or I'll say, oh, let me just speak for myself. What I've observed is sort of what Marika was talking about in terms of change. It, it, there's this binary thinking. Either you accept a situation or you change it. And for me, I found a middle ground where I don't have to accept a situation and I don't have to actively try to change Mm. other people. What I can do is focus on myself. Like we talked about in some other podcasts, we have a lot more agency over ourselves than we think think we do. And so that's where I'm choosing to put my energy. And then if people see me and have questions like, "Hmm, there's something about you, your skin's glowing, (laughs) you seem happy, what happened? Well, let me share with you, friend, this is what I've been doing or this is what I've been experiencing. I love, I love that. that. We both said that. I, I love that so much because it's it's like um I think I think it's hard to imagine you're allowed to and I'm I'm gonna I wanna go into this bit with you. This idea of like not accept. Like what does that mean to what does that look like to you? Give us an example of something you wouldn't accept, but you wouldn't try to change. 
So let's take a corporate space. Um, So I'm deciding to not accept the idea that the only way I can provide stability for myself or my family is by getting a job in a corporation. I'm choosing to, to release that. I'm not accepting that. I'm also not forcing myself to change corporate America to fit me and what and to fit my capacity. What does it look like relationally? Like what if like what if someone you love um, has a political stance that you don't agree with or like they have like some like racist ideas or like homophobic or misogynist opinions? Like, yes. What does that look like for you? So for me, that can look like different types of boundaries. So let's take a, a common example. I can have friends or family members who regularly use the F word. I have been putting no energy into trying to change them as to why they shouldn't say the F word. However, what they will understand is that they're not going to say the F word in front of my children and they're not going to say the F word in my house. If they do say the F word in my in, in front of my children or in front of or in my house, we'll have to reevaluate the dynamics of our relationship. So you allow yourself to see the nuance of a person <laughs> because you're not using them saying the f word and labeling them with something you're seeing other things you love about them and that's something that you don't work with well like tell me about that i think exactly. people listening need to hear how this works yeah so, so if anything i am viewing <laughs> let's take using the f word as an example you have your own repressed issues with gender and sexuality that's what's really underlying that but you're not ready to address that and i'm not here to force you However, what won't be tolerated around me, my children or in my house is using inflammatory language that has often resulted in violence against a, a marginalized group of people. See, I think that's a beautiful example because we think in, again, I always say that you're a unicorn, DEI unicorn, and I, you said it too, Marika, because mm-hmm. a lot of people that do facilitation around diversity, equity, and inclusion they do come from a place of dominance. You know, they they are saying like, no, you are harmful. If you don't change this now, you're not a good person. It's like actually a shame tactic. And then out of the charge of that, they fawn and appease and they don't actually transform anything, but they're 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 performing in a way that's more acceptable, but nothing's actually shifted. Mm-hmm. And I, I really see you like, do you remember the episode I did with Bill Riddick a while ago? Um, yeah, I, I see you in that that lineage of that type of like civil rights leader and activist because like he he did it through presencing his own love for each person like he saw everyone as a sibling even like the ones that were like full i mean he worked with leaders of the kkk as a black man like he knew that they were opposed to him they knew that he knew they hated him he knew he knew they were doing violent things to people like he knew all that and in those 10 days when he would do the shrek process he would treat them like his like his family And, and and the more he did that the more they would relinquish this hatred because they experienced just unconditional kindness from someone they were trained to hate, that they inherited ideas of hatred. This lights me up because when we can understand the nuance of relationships, that they don't have to be this hard edge of you have one belief that opposes mine, I have to oppose all of you. It opens up like so much juiciness. And I I guess I just want, I'm thinking of like 
Monica Guzman, you know, oh. Marika's friend who finally came on the podcast last week. I listened we were to like, it. oh, you really? I had we to. were like, I'm right. so excited for people to hear it. Just the first we were lines. Like, right? We were like lighting each other up. Like, I need her in my life more. But <laughs> it was so fun because she is from that same place of there is so much that makes up a person. And her and I were, were like, we were really, um, Everyone has heard it by now, as I say it. But um, we were really uh, uh, bonding. Is that the word I want to use? Connecting, relating from the parallel experience of our parents both voted for Trump. And we both come from like immigrant Latino families. So there was this interesting shift of the, the, the story of what a Trump voter looks like is not our families. Mm-hmm. And because we know that, we can't buy the story. Right. And it's the same thing I experienced with uh, people of color. Like all of my friends who are black have been wealthier than I've ever been, have come from the most more educated families than I came from, have a complete opposite of the stereotype that was put out by the media, even by the left. Well, meaning this, this overcoupling, like they're all victims and need our help is like, not necessarily like there's a lot of amazing, brilliant people in all you know, spans. So I'm kind of, I told you I'm on a rambling fest today, but (laughs) rambling and rambling. But like, I guess it excites me because I love to question the stories I've been told about what a person is based on who they, what they believe, who they voted for. And I think this conversation around nuance is just one we have to keep having so people can see it and feel it and have it modeled. Because it's not being modeled when you're only watching left or right media. It's not. It's mm-hmm. like it's it's only telling you one story. I just said a lot. I'm gonna pause and y'all take whatever you want from it and <laughs> make some sense out of it for our listeners, please. Well, I was totally tracking uh what you were saying. And um I think part of the reason I I like to find the nuance in people is one. I just feel like that's re- reality going to my autistic self. Like, it's illogical. It does. It just doesn't make sense. And then two, th- there's my personal experience. For example, I have experienced quite frequently um, a lot of people assuming because I identify as a person of faith, specifically a Muslim, that I have to be transphobic, homophobic, and misogynist. And I know that's not true. And I tell them, well, guess what? Not only can I be Muslim and a feminist and um, an ally for the LGBTQ plus people, but guess what? There are LGBTQ plus Muslims. (laughs) Mind blown, right? Um, And and, and, and so I guess with my own personal experience with that, I don't know if empathy is the right word, but like when you experience, when you've gone through it, then it's, you can recognize it in other people or yeah, I'll leave it there. I love that. Where does that go for you, Marika? I, I was just sort of thinking that what the less binary mind thinking is and what, and the more open I've been to everybody, especially the people that I didn't agree with mm. and I don't agree with. Um, you know, that doesn't, I feel like what people do when they hear, hear you give one inch to the quote unquote other side is you're in bed with Mitch McConnell That's <laughs> right. rather than, no, I just met this person and they happened to vote for somebody different and we had a good conversation or we have this in common or whatever it is, you know, um, I often think about the the parents, you know, her parents, your parents, that type of thing, who to people I know would be like, oh, they're Trumpers. 
you know, uh, which, you know, we've called, I've called, called people that before as well. I mean, I don't know anymore, <laughs> but like, you know, all their Trumpers, yeah. but like really they're also like grandparents, you know, and grandparents to me are pretty innocuous, <laughs> you know, and they're, <laughs> ah, I love that. You know what I mean? And yeah, I do. It doesn't do. mean that maybe the way that they voted or the, you know, that there isn't harmful thinking sometimes or, or that it wasn't coming from a good place, but it's not my place to judge whether that was the case or not. It's more, what did I take away from our interaction? And if I'm going into the interaction, as I see a lot of peers doing already for the fight, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well, then yeah, you're going to get a fight, you know? And so it's, it's, um, it's easy to see. It's easy for me to see what I need in order to have more peaceful interactions with people and relationships you know it's not necessarily easier it's just easy to see (laughs) I I love that I love that about you in particular because um you know Camille's always being like you know she's like the autistic queen she's always like I don't I'm a walking trigger I never wanted to change anybody I'm always been different (laughs) and I've like you know designed and created this work and you are so cool because you come with this humility where like you get everything that we say and like believe it and you have the reality of like it's hard for my body you know it's it's not a natural way for your body to move in this world and you also notice how much it hurts you and so i always love i just love like our differences in these conversations we have because it, it, i think you offer this just great reality and like, I'm no offense, Camille, but when you and I talk, I'm like, this is not reality. Like, <laughs> most people, are like, <laughs> most people are like, you know, these two need to go fuck off. What world are they living? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What world are they? And so I think it's like, it's like, it's almost, it's just, it's just talk about diversity. Like, it's, it's always so nice when Marika grounds it into a reality of like, and it's hard. <laughs> you know, because like I get, a, I I forget to say that because for me it's not. It's like so natural, but it is hard. It is yeah. hard. It should be hard. Like it should be hard when it's not a, something you practiced since birth. You know, it's like really difficult. Mm-hmm. And and you're really speaking, Marika, to the beauty of or the reality of the overcouplings. You know, any prejudice we have against anyone, it's an overcoupling. We we see the person, like like what you were saying, Camille. Someone says the f word. Um, like you were saying, Maria, someone votes for Trump. There's an overcoupling associated with that that tells your mind and body that now you know everything about this person and they're dangerous. Mm-hmm. And in that like traumatic overcoupling, like you said, Mariko, we clench up and we come in ready for a battle. Mm-hmm. And when you when you show up ready for a battle, there's no room for relationship. There's no room for curiosity. Mm-hmm. And I guess I get a little satiated with diversity conversations that don't include all diversity Mm -hmm. right if i'm in a group of democrats i want people that are open to a republican coming in the room like to me that's diverse like i want diversity across the board and so i just i just think it's like exciting to know that the practices we teach people actually can help them learn how to be with that Mm -hmm. actually i'm curious i'm gonna ask both of you this out of all the practices we teach in the course which ones have you leaned on or pick one that you've leaned on that assists you the most when you have a traumatic overcoupling with a certain person or demographic? 
what assists you to feel safe, to have your heart open, to be curious? Like what, which one assists with that? I'm going to think too, but I want to hear what you two say first. For me, it's finding safety. Tell us how you do that. Like, how do you experience it? So the um, listeners can understand. Or it's finding safety, right? I was like, or pendulation. No, I think it's finding safety. <laughs> Mostly it's that if I, if what comes up in me is the charge of I'm, I'm in danger or I, or I'm just a huge charge, I'm anxious, whatever it is. Um, it is locating the one space in my body that I know I'm actually okay. Um, you know, and sometimes it's sort of like going through all the different body parts, like, no, <laughs> but usually it's like my hands. Okay. I'm okay. You know, I'm like, and it's also a way for me to feel stuff. Cause I, since I'm such a freeze person, all of a sudden I just won't feel things. So that's like a really good way for me to like find something that I can feel. Um, and once I get into that, um, once I can locate that or feel it, or both, um, it's sort of easier for to repair that and and stay. Because if it was somebody who who said something to me and it charged me up, usually what I would want to do is leave, you know. And so being able to find that safety in myself somewhere in one part has helped me stay. But you know, and understand that I'm not in danger. Like it, to me, I want to get to the curious part. You know, and I can't do that if I'm, I'm in freeze or I don't feel like like I'm safe. So the safety part. I also think it was the first one I ever learned. So it's the one I've done yeah. the most. So it's not the one I'm most comfortable with, but it has helped me in so many situations rather than blowing up or leaving or, you know, that type of thing. It's great for marriage. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I just have to expand on this a bit so people listening can hear. First of all, episode 10 is the original finding the safety exercise. It's very deep and you, you can play with that. Um, but I love this because when you talk about this, when Rika says this, what she's really saying is when you're triggered by somebody and that activation comes in, if you're only living from the part of you that's activated, you, you can only do an activating thing, right? The, the only option is to express from an activated place because you're living from that place in your body. So you're going to have a, a fight, flight, fawn, or freeze response, um, or you're going to dissociate, you know? and or but i love that when you find the safety and what she's talking about is you you literally locate a place in your body that doesn't feel that charge a place that okay that person just said or did something like even offensive or scary and what tells me i'm okay because in those moments where we get triggered the whole body is attuned to the one place in our body that holds the trigger and then we think our entire being head to toe is activated when really it's just like our chest or our face or our hand. So when you find the safety, it teaches you, first of all, oh, there's other parts of me. But then it shows you, well, if my legs are steady right now, like what could be going wrong in this moment? And then you start living from that place and then you don't run out, you don't scream, you don't dissociate. You, you can actually make a decision because you have your full brain because you're regulated. I love that. What's yours, Camille? Well, you know, I love finding the safety as well. So <laughs> one of my go-tos, but um, just to add on to the repertoire, I will say in conjunction <laughs> with that or similar to it, feeling the now really supports me mm -hmm. when I'm mm -hmm. a um, really activated or intense one-on-one -on -one communication, or if I'm receiving news about things that may be happening in the world around me. Um, and so orienting 
to what I'm experiencing in this moment really allows me to to settle into that place in my body that has a sense of safety. And one thing I've noticed, it also allows me the space, like Marika was saying, to get curious. In particular, I've really developed a reflexive practice of saying, you're in your trauma response. I've, I've gotten to a place where I very rarely are we interacting with people who are interacting with their trauma response. So I can first witness that they're in some sort of trauma response. And then I can get curious about why might they be in a trauma response right now? I can't know, but I can start to ponder to myself. And if anything, if I feel like we're in a space where we can do it, I can begin to ask questions where it might come up in them. They might not, they probably don't even realize they're in a trauma response, but I could begin to ask questions and it might bring it to the surface of it. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that because when you have that awareness of I'm interacting with someone's trauma response and or from my trauma response, there's this separation of the person and their trauma response. Like they yes. aren't that response. Yes. It's like when someone flicks me off, I always use this example. Someone like gives me the finger while I'm driving because they think I cut them off or I did cut them off, whatever happened. I'm like, oh, they're, they're in a flight response. Yes. Instead of that person's an asshole. It's like, no, they're in their flight response. It's a whole different it's a mechanism. It's not who they are, right? They're very different. And I know there, we always say this, there are going to be people who are like, you're bypassing, you're condoning bad behavior. No, it's just that it allows me an ability to understand how they got there. I don't there think they go. woke up that morning that way, or yeah. they, they certainly weren't three years old in That's that right. way. Something happened. It's the same reason. And I know this is really triggering. I can empathize with or understand like when people are like, how could someone do 9-11? I can understand how how Muslims in the, in the Middle East become radicalized. I can, I can, I can walk it, it through my brain how, how that could happen. In the same vein, I can walk through my brain when people say, how did how did the, the January 6th riots happen? Again, I can walk through my brain. How did that come to be? How did a, a, a group of people get to the point where they were past capacity that they felt threatened there you go. And this is how, they, how they're responding. Now, whether the threat is real or not is not the issue, but I can understand how they get to that point. That's right. And what we're seeing with all those experiences, whether it's war, a terrorist attack, the January, January 6th, was it? Six, was it six, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm so bad with media. Real down but, in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like all these experiences are they're these collective trauma responses that we're watching. And instead of seeing them as collective trauma responses, we see them as those people like Muslims can't be trusted and all yes. the profiling they went through for you, all the profiling you went through for years because of it. And, you know, like a Trumper or a white man or a white straight cis guy is now a dot dot. It's like, no, they're not. That, that's one body's expression that doesn't speak for all the bodies. And again, it's not who they are. It's an expression that came from decades of overcouplings and traumas. And if we understand, and I hear you, there's people probably right now as i say this like y'all need to take like a real go get a real job (laughs) (laughs) go get a real job it's like we don't support any of these things we look at them with an open heart so we can understand how to transform them that's that's what it really comes down to and when i think of the people i've worked with over the years i've worked with abusive spouses you know to kids and women and women to kids and their spouses like both sides and what, you know, many therapists would call CPS right away on these people. And 
I would, it's one reason I didn't get licensed is so I didn't have to legally do that. Because first of all, I didn't want kids going to the foster system. I saw much worse coming out of that. And I knew when these parents had a willingness to work with their trauma, that these expressions would dissolve. And they all did every single one. And so people got to transform from being abusive to being a nurturing and repairing the rupture of the abuse they caused because they had trauma. And to me, it's like, that's so important. Because uh, when we see an expression as the person, we don't see an end. Yes. And that's why jails have been invented and medication yeah. is invented. We think it suppress the nature. That's not their nature. That's like one place that they naturally express from having trauma. But it's not their nature without a trauma response. No one could do those things, right? Otherwise. Mm -hmm. So I think that that place, going back to these practices, the for me, it's the finding the safety for sure. And it's definitely the feeling that now is huge. Those two for me, I, I, I rest upon the most. Mm -hmm. Because when I see, I remember when I watched the January 6th. Um, <laughs> we'll fact check that later. It was in January. <laughs> Marika, fact check me, please. <laughs> it was in January. When the, thing that happened, the thing that happened in January happened. I remember sitting in my office and watching it on my, uh, my computer because every client was freaking out. And of course, I had no idea what they're talking about. And I'm like, I need to go see what's happening. So I'm watching. And I remember like initially feeling this like feeling of violation in my body. And then I was like, wait a minute, hold up. I'm not even there. I'm like hundreds of miles away from DC. I'm in this incredible town where people are pretty loving. I'm looking out of the street at a woman walking her dog. I feel the sun coming on my face and my whole body settled. And I got to watch it from a settled place. Same thing when the elections happened. I was in the bathtub. It's kind of like, hey, whichever way it goes, it goes. I was enjoying my bath and I was like, it can go any way it wants. No one's taking me out of this bath right now. They don't have the power. This is my bath. And so it's like, it's these moments of uh, how gooey can I let my experience be? Even when something outside of me is is really triggering, devastating, painful, you know, whatever it is. And I think when we do it in the micro first, the macro, what we're saying now that sounds really radical to some people, makes so much more sense, right? Because when you can look at your mother or your beloved and they're triggering you and then you come back into your safety, yes, it just gets that easy to do on the news or media, you know, wherever it comes yeah. from, right? Oh, yeah. Totally. There's a lot of opportunities to practice. <laughs> endless. There's endless opportunities to practice. People might be practicing right now listening to us getting triggered. And playing with, okay, let me find my... And I'll actually say that before we close. Those of you listening, if you feel triggered by anything we're saying, or you feel a rush or a dissociation, just pause your phone or whatever you're listening on and literally just look around the room and just practice feeling in your body what in the room is pleasant. And if pleasant is a stretch, because for some of us, pleasure is a stretch. We're not ready for that. Start with what in the room is the absence of threat. I mean, a window, the walls, I'm sitting on a chair, no one's here, right? I'm on a bench and no one's yelling right now. Like, just feel the absence of threat and you're already doing what we're talking about. You're feeling your body and simultaneously witnessing something else that could be activating, but you're staying in your place of, um, you know, having agency because you're self-connected, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I think just to orient us, I... We can't talk about it now. It's a cliffhanger. I am dying to talk about Rachel Dolezal. Dying to. Oh, God. <laughs> I, I know it's going to be triggering, but like, I, I mean, she's in my state. She's in my state. Yeah. Um, which we so can, like, 
<laughs> I wanted to ask one question before we yeah, close. Go, go for it. Which has nothing to do with Rachel. <laughs> and everything to do with Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Are you pendulating right now? We're going to go right back. Right back. Full circle. Full circle. So it's November and the movie ends at a Thanksgiving feast where uh, Wayne Zielinski has enlarged a turkey. It's a gigantic turkey. Now, I'm not really into turkey, but I'm wondering what you would enlarge food-wise if you could. That is a great goal. That's much better than my closer. Okay. <laughs> the Rachel Doldal palate cleanser. <laughs> Honestly, I think mine'd be, mine would be stuffing. I would just want a gigantic thing of stuffing. Because it's bread, but it's also more. <laughs> like bread and butter and seasoning. Marika's teaching us all how she regulates. Just so yeah. you know, pie, <laughs> pie and stuff. Oh my god! Not talking about Rachel Dolezal. So, what was yours, Camille? Where do you go? It'd probably be candy yams. That is Ooh, adorable. Yeah. Oh my god! I it's love a giant. Yeah, it's a big old thing. I can't, no marshmallows for everyone. You don't put marshmallows in your candy yams. Okay, keep that mess out of here. Now you just triggered some people too. I think. Now you triggered some people. It's gonna be whole it's thing very, on this. That's not very Camille, inclusive of you. Marshmallows. Camille is anti-marshmallow. That's where her tolerance ends. Is with marshmallows. I'm with you actually. I'm with you on that. There's no amount of pen. Malaysia is going to invite yeah. a marshmallow to my yams. Um, <laughs> okay, I got to think about this now. I'm getting all swept up in your your shares. Okay, if I could enlarge one food, it would be. I don't know. You're supposed I'm to say literally... bean. <laughs> bean. Yeah, you're supposed to say bean. I'm supposed to be on brand, right? I'm like it's supposed to be a gigantic bean that you can live off forever, never have adrenaline. I only have to soak it and cook it once. It's the most convenient bean on the planet. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think here. I'm drawing a blank. I, it's not true. I told you I'm in this ADHD expression hardcore today. I'm not drawing a blank. I'm seeing like a plethora of foods and I can't pick one. Ooh. So like a wheel of fortune, I'm going to stop one in my mind. Vanilla cake. What? Vanilla cake. <laughs> oh, God. I was like, is that a vegetable I've never heard of? <laughs> On my wheel of fortune, there are so many things right now. Vanilla and there's this one there's this one double layered vanilla cake with some like confetti sprinkles going on. You know how they do the little like those little crown dips of the icing around the edge? Oh, yeah. Like this is hardcore. This is like a fetish. Wow. Oh, okay. Wow. <laughs> that, was, that was what was on my wheel of fortune right now. That's what I would enlarge. I would enjoy every bit of that. I love it. Okay. Okay. Okay, Wait. thank you all for dealing with us in this conversation. <laughs> ADHD had a podcast. ADHD had a podcast. But was trauma informed? <laughs> always, always is. Okay, loves. Uh, we're actually going to hop off now and, and dysregulate Marika because we have to practice doing Zoom karaoke for our membership. So... Uh -huh. <laughs> if y'all are listening to this go on youtube just so you can see marika's face at the end of this okay it'll be, it'll be very worth it i promise okay mm. just want to say goodbye everybody bye goodbye bye, everybody so that's the end of today's episode notice where you feel the episode inside of your body 
those sensations, those expressions. That's how your body speaks to you. Sit with it, be with it, and let whatever wants to come up, come up. Because all the wisdom you're looking for is right there in those sensations. If you want to go deeper into these practices or find more information about my work, please visit holisticlifenavigation.com. I'll see you next time. Did you know your food cravings are actually a doorway to your subconscious? They are. We tend to see cravings as something bad or something we just give into mindlessly. But when you embody your cravings, you're able to notice they're just blossoming from a certain place that has a certain need and needs your attention. Join me on Wednesday, May 29th, as I unpack this in a new webinar called Cravings Destigmatized. In this webinar, I'll help you learn the difference between a nutritional craving and an emotional craving, as well as how do we use cravings to get in touch with our unmet needs and any of our unconscious, unprocessed emotional experiences. It begins at 4 p.m. Eastern, and everyone who registers will get a replay. You can find the link in the episode details, and you can also go to www.holisticlifenavigation.com and click on events, and the information is right there. Hope to see you there.